You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So one effect of technology today is that nobody, nobody knows what it's like to be lost anymore. Okay, Think about it for a minute. If we, as long as we have our phones with us, it's almost impossible for us to be in a place and not know where we are. I was thinking about it. My, my kids will never know what that's like to be in a place and not know where you are. And some of us, some of us know what that's like. Maybe some of us have been lost before. I've been lost before. As uh, was a long time ago, as back before, uh, before the GPS, before there was ever such a thing as a smartphone. I was 17 years old, and my dad and I were driving from North Carolina to Tennessee which means, uh, if you know American geography, we have to go through the Appalachian Mountains in the western part of North Carolina. And it was a, it was a Friday. I had a, had a, a Saturday uh, baseball game in Tennessee. And so my dad and I left after school Friday afternoon driving west. And by the time we got into the mountains, it was night, it was very dark, and it was very foggy. And we, we didn't have any map devices um, we just had an old paper map, you know, like you, it's one of those, you open the thing up and it, it blocks the entire windshield. You know what I'm talking about? One of those paper maps, you, just, you keep folding it and it just keeps unfolding. And, and that's what we had. And some, somehow along the way, um, uh, we, we got off the main highway looking for a shortcut and, and uh, we found ourselves in the, in the perfect setting for a horror movie. Uh, we... I remember, for whatever reason, um, and I need to talk to my dad about this, um, but he was letting me drive his truck. And I don't know if, if you parents do this sometimes, but I, I think about it. like My parents let me do things I would never let my kids do, all right, just for the record. And this is one of those times. That it, was, it was dark, and it was foggy, and, and it was, it, the, the roads were curvy, and they were mountainous, and I was, I was driving my dad's. Super Duty Diesel Ford F-250, and we were lost. I remember it was so dark and so foggy that you couldn't tell where anything was. You couldn't, you couldn't see anything except for the road right in front of the headlights, and uh, we were l- literally driving in circles. It took us a while. We figured it out, but we were lost in the mountains. We were in the mountains. It was dark, and we were lost. And in today's passage, at the end of Luke 1, we see here a vivid image of what it means to be lost in a spiritual sense. This last section of Luke is pretty straightforward. Verses 57 to 66, uh, we see there the birth of John. That's what Alex just read for us. And then in verses 67 to 80, we see the prophecy of Zechariah. And it's interesting here because we see the word mercy used three times in this last section. And each use of the word mercy is in a slightly different context. And so the plan for the sermon is I want us just to look closer at each of these three uses in verse 58, verse 72, and verse 78. So this is what we're going to call the sermon. This is how we're going to do it. We're looking here at God's mercy. There are three points. Number one, we're looking at the practical mercy of God. Number two is the promised mercy of God. And then number three is the personal mercy mercy of God. And I'm excited about what we see in this passage. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, in this moment, as we are gathered in worship, and as we come to your word, 
there are all kinds of ways that we imagine you. We, we all have some kind of mental image of what you're thinking and of what you're doing. And Father, this morning, we ask that you would conform our imaginations to your truth. Father, we ask that you would show us your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, we're looking at the practical mercy of God, verses 57 to 66. I just want to tell you the story of what's going on here. Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, just like the the angel Gabriel had said. And in verse 58, we see that the word gets out here. Elizabeth's neighbors and her relatives, they heard that she bore a son, and they're all happy. And and apparently, they all get very involved. Okay, I, I know we all know that the Bible was written in a different time and written in a different culture, but it's pretty strange how these these neighbors and relatives assert themselves here. Okay, in verse 59, this is the eighth day after John's birth. This is what verse 59 says. It says, And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And I hope, I hope you just caught that. These people were in the process of naming Elizabeth's baby for her. All right? Can you imagine that for a minute? Some of you moms here. Can you imagine you have given birth to a child, and you have a, a lot of friends and relatives come into the room, and they're talking, and they're like, yeah, we're going to call him Junior. That's what's happening here in, in Luke 1. And, and Elizabeth, she tells these people, she hears them talking about what they're going to name her baby. And she says, no, 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 his name is John. And then look at verse 61. These people begin to argue with her. They, they tell Elizabeth she can't possibly name her son John because nobody in her family has that name. And then apparently they get, they get so irritated with Elizabeth that they turn to her husband, Zechariah, and they're like, can you believe, Zechariah, what your wife wants to name this child? What are we really going to name the baby? I just want to say, next time you have a friend who has a baby, I dare you to try this. Okay? Dare you. This is when Zechariah... Um, He has not spoken in months. He's been silent. He grabs a pencil and paper, and he writes, his name is John. And and everybody in this moment is shocked. Zechariah opened his mouth. He starts speaking, blessing, and praising God. All the people are now astonished with fear. They go from wonder to now fear. And then the word about John begins to spread through the whole region. Everybody was talking about this baby named John because they knew it meant something big. And as strange as we might find the involvement of these relatives and neighbors, I think their response in chapter 1 here is really important. At the level of narrative, their involvement and response is really just meant to showcase the special occasion of John's birth and especially the obedience of his parents. Zechariah and Elizabeth named their baby John only because that's what the angel had said. We're supposed to see here very clearly that apart from the angel, the name John doesn't make any sense. But it's because Zechariah and Elizabeth trust God that they listened to the angel and named the baby John. The relatives and the neighbors here, they are really just meant to be a backdrop to highlight the obedience, I think, of Zechariah. And Elizabeth, but they also do something else. 
It's in how these neighbors and relatives first interpret the news about John. Okay, look at this with me in verse 58. Luke tells us in verse 58 that when they heard the news of Elizabeth giving birth, Luke says, they heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. So these people heard that Elizabeth had a baby and Luke says that they heard the Lord showed great mercy to Elizabeth. Which means that seamlessly, almost automatically, these neighbors and relatives understood the great mercy of God to Elizabeth to be a child. These people understood that God's mercy is practical. We're talking about the practical mercy of God. It is not theoretical. It is not abstract. Mercy is not this invisible thing that we reference for sentimental value, but the mercy of God can be seen and heard and held, and his diaper can be changed. Right? I, I, I love that these overbearing relatives and friends saw John that way. I know they tried to name him, but I'm going to give them a pass on that because in a lot of ways, I wish we were more like them. What if we looked at one another the way these people looked at Elizabeth? Do you think we could look at each other's lives and in very practical ways say about one another, that's the great mercy of God? What if we looked for that in each other? That's something I think about. We got, we got to practice this. Think about it. We're, when we're talking with people and we're hearing about what's going on in their lives, I want us to look for practical ways where we can say of one another, that's God's mercy. Someone's talking to you and they say, I got that promotion at work that I was praying about. That's God's mercy. Hey, my son is getting baptized on Sunday. That's God's mercy. Hey, that doctor's appointment that I was praying about, it went really well. That's God's mercy. What if we, I want us to see, what if we looked for the mercy of God on display in one another's lives? And then when we see that mercy, when we see the great mercy of God on display in our lives, we say it, and then we rejoice together. That's what's happening here in Luke 1. Because the mercy of God is practical. Also, this is the second point, the mercy of God is promised. It's the promised mercy of God. This is verses 67 to 75. Look at verse 67 for a minute. This is um, after Zechariah could speak. He's praising God. He's blessing God. And then Zechariah speaks a prophecy. And that prophecy is, restly, uh, is basically the rest of chapter 1. And it has two parts to it. Okay, The first part is verses 68 to 75. And let's read it here, looking at verse 68. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we can see there in verse 72, 
the word mercy is mentioned. I think we all have a basic idea as to what mercy means in English. Mercy means kindness, forgiveness, goodness, and, and that's right. But in the Bible, the word mercy can have a very deep, very rich, complex meaning. And I think that's what we see here. Zechariah, in the first part of this prophecy, he's, he, he's, he's not talking about John. He's talking about Jesus. Zechariah knows that John is a pointer to Jesus. So it's about Jesus that he says God has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. And Zechariah says in verse 70 that God is doing this just like the Old Testament prophets has said. And now here's the purpose for it in verse 71. This is why God's doing it. God is sending Jesus so that first... We should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And second, so that God will show the mercy he promised to our fathers. We need to get this, all right? I got to get this part. Zechariah says that Jesus is coming for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is coming to save us. Number two, Jesus is coming because Jesus is God's mercy he promised to Abraham. What exactly is the mercy then? What is the mercy that God promised to Abraham? Well, it's, it's all the promises of God. The word mercy is shorthand for everything that God told Abraham he would do. It includes the, the rescue of Israel from her enemies. It includes a land where God's people can worship him freely. And so this means that when we look back at the book of Genesis, when we look back at the entire Old Testament, there is really one word that can summarize everything we see there. It's mercy. It's God's covenant faithfulness. It's God's resolve to fulfill his word. It's God's unwavering commitment to bring redemption no matter what. It's God's mercy. And this shows us, this promised mercy shows us that God's mercy is a deliberate action, not a mere reaction. God's mercy is planned and calculated. It's on purpose. God is an architect in mercy, not a scribbler. And that is why we can trust him. See, a lot of times I think that, that we can think of God's mercy and kindness the way that we think about our own mercy and kindness. We, we can tend to think that it's whimsical. Like, like we hope we can get some of God's mercy, but we better catch him at the right time on a good day. It's like I think, I think we can treat God's mercy like we treat the Krispy Kreme hot light. Anybody ever heard of Krispy Kreme donuts? I need to show a hand here. Okay, good. They're big in the Carolinas and, and in other states that love their people. And, and uh, Krispy Kreme always has donuts. Okay, you know this. If you're, they always have donuts. But throughout the day, when the donuts are just being made and they're super fresh and warm and like melt in your mouth good, they turn on this light and it says, hot now. It's like neon orange. And whenever you see that light, you know it's time. And it, I mean, people will be driving down the road and they'll see that light and they, they'll, they'll slam on brakes and spin into the parking lot and it's completely acceptable. There is no judgment if you do something like that. In fact, I was thinking, you can go into any place you want, 
holding a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and just be like, it was the hot life. And everybody's okay with that. It doesn't matter where you go. It's just one of those things that, and as I was thinking about this, this Krispy Kreme hot light, I thought, man, I don't think, I don't remember ever actually having a Krispy Kreme donut when the hot light wasn't on. Like, I don't think any, I don't think anybody ever bothered Krispy Kreme unless they saw that hot light. And, and that's how we can treat God. We can think that if we really want his mercy, like if we want his good mercy, like if we want God's good mercy, we better wait for the hot light, which means that we spend our lives driving by, trying to line up at exactly the right time. When can I find we spend our lives trying to match it, trying to be at exactly the right place and exactly the right moment to find God's mercy. But that's not how it works. Because God's mercy is intentional, it means that God's mercy is reliable all the time, every moment of every day. God is the God who has revealed himself to us. He is the God who, who has made promises to us, which means he will always only act in harmony with those promises. And that is his mercy. That's what Zechariah is saying. In sending Jesus, God is showing mercy. God is doing just like he said he would do. We're talking here about the promised mercy of God. And here's the last part. This is the personal mercy of God. And we see this in the last part of Zechariah's prophecy, verses 76 to 79. Look there, verse 76. Zechariah says, and you, child, he's talking about his son, talking about John the Baptist here, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Listen to this part. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So a couple weeks ago, if you remember, we looked at the mission of John the Baptist, and we saw that the mission of John the Baptist was to be a witness for Jesus. God sent John as a prophet to prepare the way for Jesus. And Zechariah says that again here, but he gives a little more detail this time. What does preparing the way for Jesus look like? Well, preparing the way for Jesus means, in particular, verse 77, to give the knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. In short, John prepared the way for Jesus by reminding God's people that he had not forgotten them. And why not? Why didn't God forget his people? That's in verses 78 and 79. This is where Zechariah moves into a metaphor. Zechariah is going to give us an image. But first, before he does that, in verse 78, Zechariah says that God has not forgotten us. God is coming to save us. God is at work for us because, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. This is the third time now that we see the word mercy. And this third time is different from the first two. 
We get that God's mercy is practical. It's something we can see. We get that God's mercy is promised. It's intentional. But the mercy mentioned here in verse 78, it goes even deeper than that because now we're talking about the personal mercy of God, which means it's not just seen, it's not just promised, but this is mercy that starts at the very heart of God himself. That's what the phrase tender mercy means. This is the only time in the Bible that we see these two Greek words put together this way. The word tender actually means inward parts. It's the insides. It's referring to the stuff deep down inside of us. It's like how we might use the phrase, you know, the bottom of my heart. And here, Zechariah is using that phrase to describe God's mercy. God's mercy is from the deepest place within him. That's what it means. It means that God's mercy is as true and as sincere as it possibly could be. There's nothing held back. This is ultra mercy. This is mercy extreme in its compassion. And it's so surprising and so unexpected. We, we really can't wrap our heads around it. We can't. Like we see the phrase, but we can't quite understand it. This is one of those phrases that really you really need a story. You have to have a story to understand how it looks. The concept by itself is so profound, we need an image to attach to these words. And Zechariah is going to give us an image, but Jesus also gives us an image later in this gospel. And this is, I think, this is part of the genius of Luke, which is another reason why I want to have lunch with him. But a little later in this gospel, Jesus is going to tell a couple stories, and he's going to use the verb form of this word translated as tender. Okay, One of them comes in Luke 10. It's about a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he's attacked by robbers, and he's left for dead, and these robbers take everything this guy had. They throw him by the side of the road, barely alive. They leave him there to die. And the next day, as people walk by this poor man, nobody helped him. But then there was a Samaritan man that comes walking by, and Jesus says that when this Samaritan man came to the place where he saw the man laying there on the side of the road, absolutely helpless. Jesus says the Samaritan man had compassion on him. That's the word. You may have heard that story. That's a great story. That's not even the main story where we see this word. The main story comes in Luke 15. This is a story Jesus tells about a son. And this son came to his dad one day, and he asked his dad if he could cash out his inheritance early. The son wanted to go ahead and pocket all of his property and all of his money from his dad. And then when he got all of the money from his dad, he went to a faraway country, and he spent every bit of it. This son burned through all the cash that he owned. He lived recklessly, and then he found himself absolutely broke. He had no money. He had no job. And he was starving. And so he went and he made himself a slave. And as a slave, he became a feeder of pigs. And he actually found himself, as he's feeding these pigs, he found himself to be actually hungrier than the pigs he fed. And it was in that moment that he realized, I I've got to go back home. And so he stands up and he's surrounded by these pigs 
and, and he decides, I'm leaving. And so he, he starts walking back to his dad's house. And as he's walking on this long way back home, he's preparing what he's going to say to his dad. He's going to say, Dad, I really messed up. I, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. I don't deserve to be your son. Just make me a slave. That's what he's practicing as he's walking and as he's getting closer to his, his dad's house. And meanwhile, his dad is at home. And his dad is standing outside looking out down the road and a long, a long ways off, way out in the distance, the dad sees his son walking in his direction. This is an amazing moment in the story because we're reading this, we're hearing Jesus and we're all, we're all wondering, what is this dad going to do to his son? Jesus says in Luke 15, 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. That's the word. Tender mercy. And the dad ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son started with his speech. He had been practicing, but the dad just held him tight. He, he wrapped him with the best robe he could find. He put a ring on his hand. He put new shoes on his feet. And then he threw a party. And everybody was invited. That is the mercy of God. That's the mercy of God that Zechariah is talking about. That image, that story, that is the mercy of God. And Zechariah gives us an image too. In verse 78, he says that, that John is coming to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus is coming because of the tender mercy of God, whereby or through which the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah says that the tender mercy of God is like a sunrise. But it's not just any sunrise. To really understand what he's saying, we need to have some idea of the people he describes here in verse 79. This is a sunrise for people sitting in darkness. These are people sitting in the shadow of death. It is dark everywhere around them. They don't know where to go. These are people who are lost. I don't know if you've been lost before. I've been lost before. It feels kind of like this metaphor. I was driving my dad's truck in the mountains of North Carolina. It was dark. It was foggy. And it wasn't just that we, we, we didn't know where we were. We couldn't see where we didn't know where we were. You understand? We were lost. That's what it means to be lost. We were stuck, and we could not get ourselves out of that situation. That's what it means to be lost. Like the man beaten and left for dead, like the prodigal son who was feeding pigs, these people in Luke chapter 1 are stuck in darkness. The shadow of death is hovering over them. They are not going anywhere, and they wonder, will this night, will this darkness ever end? And then, like the man who stops on the road, and like the father who runs to meet his boy, all of a sudden, the sun comes up. And the light of the sun shines into the darkness. And they can see. All of a sudden, 
Everything is in color. Now these people know the way, and they're not lost anymore. They're found. They're not lost. They're found. That is the tender mercy of God. That is the mercy of God deep down in the heart of God. That is what the coming of Jesus is like. Christmas is like the sun shining into your darkness. Christmas is like bending down to heal your wounds, like a father embracing you with love that will never let you go. That's what Christmas is about. That is what Jesus means. That is why Jesus came. And that's true right now. That's true today, wherever you are right now. However dark or wounded, or lost you feel. Jesus came to find you. He came to find you. And how far did he come? He didn't just come here as a man. He came here as a man to live in your place. He has walked in your shoes. He knows what it's like to be tempted and to suffer. And he did all of that for you. And yet, in every way that we have failed, Jesus was perfect. And as the righteous man, as the only perfect man, Jesus went to the cross and he died. He took all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your fear, and Jesus was punished in your place. Jesus was crucified. He was dead. He was buried for you. And then on the third day, he rose again. Jesus is victorious over sin and death for you. Jesus ascended to heaven and one day he is coming again for you. And right now in this moment, Jesus is the sun shining into your darkness. He is the sun shining into your darkness, and so trust him. Trust him. Right now, wherever you are, you can be found. You can be found. Put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who trust you, we thank you for your tender mercy. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your tender mercy toward us. And now as we sing and and as we, in just a moment, celebrate these baptisms, we ask that you would overcome our hearts more and more with the truth of your mercy. Father, open our eyes to understand in new ways how extreme and wondrous is your compassion toward us. Father, for so many who are here, We ask that where there is darkness, give light. Where there is despair, give hope. Where there is sorrow, give joy. Father, we ask, make the glory of your Son to shine upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.